Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I'm Jason Grigla and I'm going to be talking to you today about a power struggle that goes on in this situation of trying to mentor and help neurodivergent brains and autists to develop and to move forward and to go into independence and self-reliance. And this is a common discussion that I have with many parents who are struggling with trying to figure out whether their child is just selfish, lazy, and immature, and wantonly impulsive or mean, and whether it's their brain, their developmental disability, their autism, or something that they didn't choose or can't control. And that is a hard question. Because on one hand, personality flaws are real and hold us back and make life difficult. And personality flaws are ineffective and are roadblocks to success. And yet developmental disabilities overlap what those look like in terms of selfishness, laziness, um, impulsivity. And it's hard to know how much ownership to give choice by our loved one and how much to give them patience, empathy, compassion, and understanding because it's a physiological brain issue that they didn't ask for and that they can't control. There's truth somewhere in the middle. And the problem that comes up is when do you treat it like one and when do you treat it like the other? And I don't have a great black and white procedural answer for that. I do think it's frustrating, a little like whack-a-mole, where if you hit one, the other one pops up. And if you knock the one that pops up, another one pops up. It seems like when we try to work on character flaws or personality flaws, like, for example, selfishness or narcissism, then what happens is their autism gets in the way and makes it difficult to overcome that character flaw. And if we're working on developmental disability issues, for example, organization or resiliency and hard work, then the character flaws of laziness and impulsivity get in the way. And you're like, is that ADHD or is that actual laziness and impulsivity and it's hard it's hard to judge it's hard to assess and those two are different things Uh, we can talk about that another time but when you work on one the other one pops up and for example another example would be if you're working on character flaws and you're trying to overcome those and knock those down then another enemy pops up and that would be learned beliefs, self-talk, 
learned negative tapes. Some people call them where we say to ourselves that we're terrible or life sucks or people are going to hurt us. And because so many of us have all gone through negative life experiences, we all have a set of negative beliefs. And because neurodivergence and autistics are way more similar than dissimilar to other humans, they have the same issue of overcoming negative beliefs and learned self-talk. And sometimes I don't know if someone's really anxious about social situations and the anxiety comes from a developmental disorder or autism and they just don't know how to do it. And then other times I don't know whether it is the fact that they've learned that if I put myself out there, I'm going to get beat up I'm going to be vulnerable and get knocked down and put on the mat. So I don't want to keep getting up off the mat if I'm just going to get knocked down again. And if I focus on the beliefs in their brain, then a lot of times the developmental disability or the lack of insight keeps them from understanding why they're doing what they're doing with that defense mechanism. And they have a harder time having insight where they can choose to change their belief system and their perspective and therefore change their behavior and their choices and their environment and their outcomes. And so one knocks down the other. And in in the business world, they talk about synergy on teams. And in the sports world, they talk about synergy where you, you get one plus one, not equaling two, but the, the sum of one plus one in synergy is three, but be, it's because together they are much stronger than individually alone. And that's true with the flaws of personality and character, along with the beliefs in life that they've learned about themselves and about socializing or success or adulting or whatever it is that they're afraid of or avoiding. And, and then on top of that, there, there's another one where they really have the disability where their brain doesn't work the same and things are much harder to accomplish. And maybe they're not even capable of accomplishing those things. And so one plus one plus one is like five or six or nine. And that's why it's so hard to be neurodivergent is working on one at a time and knocking those out doesn't work. We have to have a solution to all of them at the same time. And we'll talk about some solutions for that in a minute. But there is a flip side to those negatives. And on the flip side or the other side of the coin, the other edge of the sword, is that if they have a good heart and they want good things, so they have a, a personality that isn't destroyed or caustic or mean-spirited or just plain bratty, which very few people actually have. If, if they're a good person with a good heart and they have an, ex an external environment full of people who want to mentor, help, and support, and serve, if they have an environment that tries to meet their needs and build them up and walk with them and hold their hand, that also is synergistic. And so if they're a good person with a good heart, that's one. 
And if they have an external environment that is helpful, uh, that's two. And those two together definitely equal more than two. Uh, one plus one is three or four or five because those things those things build up. And a third one would be uh, not just a good heart to be a good person, uh, but an attitude of willingness and submission, which is a really hard quality to find in most people. And I don't know that it's any harder to find it in those who are neurodivergent, but it's an important quality. And if someone's willing, they can always become capable or maximize success to be capable. And I know we've talked about this before, but if they're not willing, it doesn't matter if they are capable because they won't try. And if they're not willing and not capable, then nothing positive is going to happen developmentally and life-wise. At the same time, if they're willing, they can become capable through practice and hard work and effort, especially if they have mentors and an environment in their life that helps them move forward. So they do counter each other, but it is so much more sophisticated than just focusing on one thing at a time. It's almost like having to learn how to bat a baseball and how to throw the ball at the exact same time. And how unfair is that? That is so not realistic. And so it takes twice as long to learn half as much, uh, more even, or even more disproportionate uh, than that in many cases. And so the solution or the, the thing that works in this is understanding that the brain always changes, that no matter how many times we try and fail, we are not beating our head against an unmovable rock. The reality is that every time a brain has an external trigger or even an internal trigger where they make a conscious decision, the brain has an immediate reaction that we don't choose very easily. And that's how the brain triggers a response. It's physiological, it's chemical, it's neuropathway driven. And then because it's in the frontal cortex, the brain has the ability to say that just happened. If it happens again, how do I want to do it different the next time? And so the brain adjusts or prepares to adjust in case something needs to be different the next time. And if no other situation like that comes up, then no neural pathways are built. But while someone is making the same mistakes over and over and over, there are absolutely neural pathways changing and growing that eventually it tips the scale and they they act differently. And a good example with that with that would be addiction recovery where they might continue to use alcohol. And eventually, if they don't do anything to choose to change it and they keep consciously choosing to keep drinking, they will die. But at the same time, most alcoholics or addicts, by far most, not just not just a few select lucky people, um, but by far most alcoholics finally have their last drink or finally do their last gambling. And eventually their brain had enough interactions that eventually the choice and the action outcome changed. But even, even though on the outside it looked like nothing was changing and they're the same exact person, it is changing. The brain is moving. 
So we never know whether it's going to be the first time or the thousandth time or the 10,000th time that, that their behavior will change. Our job is just to keep being there to help support and provide an environment where they're good heart and where they have mentoring and support and we are cheerleaders more than dictators. Um, an environment where they are out of their lower limbic brain and out of fight or flight mode so that they can be in their frontal cortex but be uncomfortable with a situation so that their brain can feel the discomfort and want to make a change. So the brain doesn't change its neural pathways if we're in crises, but after the crises, when we've calmed down a little bit, our brain can then have some sort of understanding and change, but it has to be when we're not in crises any longer. So I, I wanted you to understand today that parenting someone who has both neurodevelopmental and mental health issues is one plus one is three wanted you to understand that the personality flaws that everyone struggles with are hard enough to deal with as humans, but even harder to overcome and deal with when there's a physiological developmental difference in the brain going on that makes it a, a, a disability or at a minimum divergent away from the norm. So don't get too frustrated about the whack-a-mole when you think you've dealt with selfishness and it returns just know that that's the disability side and not the choice of the of the teen young adult neurodivergent and also when you're trying to focus on autism and they're actually just being lazy i think you have to approach that situation like they're being lazy or avoidant and not just say, well, it's all anxiety. It's not fair to push them out of their comfort zone. Whether it's laziness or developmental disability, they still need the same outcome. They need an external force, an external environment to help support them to become who they want to be and who it's good to be. And in, in a lot of ways, because there is a disability, our job as mentors is to not allow them to stay just how they are because human nature always flows to the lowest common denominator and we tend to deflate unless we are constantly inflating and i think i think that's true with all of us and neurodivergence aren't much different we constantly have to be working on ourselves so that we're not backsliding and regressing I don't know if that's very helpful, but it's something that's been on my mind as harder than parenting neurotypicals. And the more we understand, the better parents and mentors we become. I hope you have a great day and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you wanna learn more about our work, Come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. E dot